0: Fullback belly. Three tight ends, including Havener. Kuhn is the fullback with the first and goal. Kuhn gets the ball. Pyle trying to get it to In for the here touchdown. Comes what a great second to win. Here comes the. Oh here comes the. Oh, here comes the, oh.
1: For the third time in three weeks, the Fantasy Fullback Dive is thrilled to welcome back Roto-World's Ian Hardich. You can find him at I heart tits on uh twitter and we're gonna wrap up our risers and fallers series this is part three we've first done quarterbacks then we did pass catchers and this week we're hitting the backfields which i've seen a ton of movement this offseason so this might be the most important of all the ones we're gonna do it kind of always is the case with backfields but my man thanks so much for coming on again ian how are you doing today
0: yeah, man, thanks for having me. This has been fine. It's really helpful just to go through different uh, position groups team by team. And then, you know, like, why is everyone freaking out about Deontay Johnson every day? It's because you realize when the number two wide receiver on the Pittsburgh Steelers has a mid 40s ADP, you know, it's some you should be paying attention to. So I'm sure we'll get some running backs today that, you know, the opportunity won't be lining up with the ADP. And that's where we got our value.
1: Absolutely. I know. Great name to shout out there too. I think this has been like D. D- Deontay Johnson week. It's just been insane. Exactly. The amount of hype coming up about him was getting him in like round 8 through 10 and now he's definitely going to be going like round 5 or 6 by the time the season rolls around. But no doubt. Man, uh, great one to toss out there. We're going to now dive into the RBs, though. As you said, there's definitely going to be some misalignment between perceived opportunity and carries, especially with all this offseason movement. We kind of purposely held out on running backs the longest since there were some dominoes left to fall. One of them has just fallen, Carlos Hyde, going to Seattle. We're going to break that down in a little bit. Uh, we're still kind of waiting. Is Lamar Miller going to ever emerge? Is Devonta Freeman going anywhere? So there's still a couple left, but ultimately we're pretty much set in the backfield picture. You did an amazing backfield backfield piece before the nfl draft um i'm intrigued to see are you doing another update on that kind of looking at everybody's backfields after the draft at some point because that was one of my favorites entering the draft
0: yeah i'll definitely go on out before the season starts i know i've gone back and looked at the rookie situations, but haven't done the exact same thing yet but no yeah again you know i'm I'm going through every single week of the season i'm going through these backfields making sure we know what the splits are so yeah man
1: absolutely Uh, And so just before we dive in, you know, in my opinion, the ways running backs in really any position rises or falls is gaining volume. Of course, the king at running back more so even than pass catchers, but also you can, you know, and that could happen whether you're removing competition, uh, you're avoiding something being added when everybody expected it to be, or maybe you did have competition add, and that's why you're a faller. Uh, You could also, you know, the surrounding talent upgrades could be the offensive line, which is huge for running backs. And a lot of people also overlook when you get that field stretcher onto the field and it just opens up the underneath for the routes for the the boxes to be less stacked never mind just more td opportunities so there's all these different ways uh, the running back position can be impacted so with all that said and all these different factors in mind who do you consider ian the biggest riser uh, as we did with quarterbacks and pass catchers of all running backs this offseason who do you think gained the most value
0: miles sanders Uh, every nice thing he just said that's true just all applies positively to miles sanders i mean he had a great year last year as it was couldn't beat out Jordan Howard for the first half of the year, which is a little bit concerning. But, hey, Jordan was playing well. And by the end of the year, it was clear Miles was the better back there. But, you know, just one of the interesting things, you know, I, I l- always love, you know, the Duke Johnsons, the Tony Pollard's, these quote-unquote scat backs that you actually give them the ball to run and they, they can do it. And I don't want Miles Sanders to get typecast in that, in that role because this dude is a legit three-down stud. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he can go catch the ball downfield. I mean, he had, I think, the most yards per target as a rookie other than Alvin Kamara. Over the last like 20 years. So we know we can do that. You pull up the dude's pass blocking highlights, and he is a savage, like yeah. legit taking dudes out. Then you can go to sharp football stats where they have yards per carry over every single, you know, area on the line. And the dude's most efficient going behind center and going behind the guards. So true three down back. It's nice that you know high went to Seattle and Freeman's not there yet. And you know, we're hearing shady rumors that hasn't happened yet. Yep. Even if those happen, it's clear the Eagles, you know, there's been enough smoke. I think there's fire there that they want to add someone else there. That's okay, because he's still going to be the lead 50%-plus back in a very good offense that, like you said, upgraded the field stretchers. You know, O-lines, more than fine, as usual. I think Wentz could have an MVP candidate season. It's all looking up for Sanders. It's not going to be that 80%-plus role. Probably not, because we know Peterson's committees. But with that said, I mean, he's usually doing that with your Corey Clements and Wendell Smallwoods of the world. Sanders does own Peterson's top three single-game snap rates. So the ceiling... It's three down, every down stub, which we know he can be. In the worst case, they signed Freeman or someone, it's still looking pretty good for Miles Sanders.
1: Absolutely. I love everything you hi- highlighted there, too, especially towards the end, the three highest snap counts ever under Doug Peterson, over 80% in four of his six weeks to close out when Jordan Howard wasn't there from weeks 11 to 16, averaging 19.8 touches per game in those games, which seems unfathomable for a Peterson back. But as you said, it could be one of those correlation traps. He hasn't had a guy like Miles Sanders who is that genuine three-down threat. And in that span, when he was getting that work, the running back three in points per game, uh, So I mean, just a monster once he gets the work. And right now, it's looking like everything is projected for him to get it all. As you said, too, if they sign somebody, yeah, it hurts a little bit, but I still see him being that beast. Maybe that round two running back like Dalvin Cook last year that everyone's taking top six, seven next year. He totally could be that profile, fully aboard that train. And he's my highest riser, too. I totally agree with that call. After him, I mean, from maybe just a sheer, like, just was unfathomable to draft, in my opinion, coming into this year, to now being a potential three-down guy, that's David Johnson going from a backup in Arizona to now maybe that role where he's just an every-down force. I mean, he fizzled out so hard last year. He's on many do not draft lists. Uh, personally, for me, I had him like four leagues, so it's going to be tough for me to get swayed on him. But do you have a case for David Johnson? Are you going back in in twenty twenty?
0: It's volume. It's also the reality that look, we've all seen. I think it was the Buccaneers run where it looked like he had a piano on his back and he just <laughs> could not get to the outside. I've seen the run too, but yeah. you know, I just, before we got on the show, I saw Graham Barfield just tweet this like. Weeks one through six, before he got hurt, especially as a receiver, David Johnson was great. Only McCaffrey, Dalvin Cook, Eckler, and Nick Chubb have more points per reception overall than David Johnson. He got hurt. Back injury. You know, yeah, back injuries are going to hurt a running back's ability to pick up yards. That makes sense. Before that, he looked awesome. They were using him in the slot out wide. All that receiving goodness you've seen over the years was there. And, like, yeah, he wasn't an incredible rusher. But at the same time, there were plays of him running away from, you know, Bobby Wagner making athletic moves. The piano back guy was not the whole case of the season. And he's now pretty much, I know they got, you know, cooks and cop too, but more or less got traded for uh, DeAndre Hopkins. So I think Duke Johnson is better than David Johnson. I'm willing to die on that (laughs) take, but Duke didn't just get traded for one of the organization's best wide receivers ever, other than only DeAndre Johnson. So Bill O'Brien has given Lamar Miller, Carlos Hyde, even Alfred blue like a pace of 250 or more touches with health. David Johnson is going to be getting that. I mean, yeah, the volume's certainly going to be there. You just cited
1: that, uh, especially in the carry facet. The one thing I'm concerned about, and even last year, I thought it would finally trend and it wasn't a correlation trap. I didn't want to fall into it because he has Duke Johnson, one of the best pass catching backs. He really has never thrown to running backs, whether that's an O'Brien thing, whether it's a Watson thing, whether it's both. I mean, Watson's targeted running backs on only 14% of his throws since coming into the league. That was the third lowest last year behind only Goff and Tannehill. So that worries me a bit. It also, you know, he loved Bill O'Brien, just shove his guys up the line. Uh, you mentioned Grant Barfield, one of my favorites out there as well. I uh, wrote a great article on this how Hyde was um, a whopping seventy six percent of his carries up the gut, and that 's just not johnson 's strengths he 's so much better in space, so much better as a pass catcher and you 'd love to give O 'Brien the benefit of the doubt, but I mean after this off season, how could you trust the guy to actually use his players the right way? He certainly didn 't with Duke last year. I don't know. I, I'm having a hard time. I see the volume, and it definitely, you know, if he shows up shredded and in shape, like you said, and we see that, like, in, you know, not the piano back guy, maybe, but ah, I'm having a hard time myself. Certainly a riser, nonetheless, though. Um, yeah, it just other-
0: makes me so mad, though, because like, I, I understand Carlos Hyde isn't bad at football. He had a, he had a good right. year last year. Like He runs hard, but... Like, it's not just that, okay, fine, Carlos Hyde might be better at running in between the tackles than Duke Johnson. Like, those are bad play calls. Like, it's more efficient to throw to your running backs, to go outside, to not mess around with the entire teeth of a defense. So, okay, take that one thing that Hyde might be better at, but for some reason that equals an extra 10 touches per game. So, I'm not still bitter at all. (laughs)
1: <laughs> exactly. It makes no sense to me too. Maybe the new offensive coordinator they hired, they said they're going to give play calling duties. I think Tim Kelly might be his name. Who knows? Maybe he'll just open the offense up. That's kind of my only hope here. Cause then, then maybe he would explode with all those field stretchers around him. We'll see. Right. Um, uh, speaking of pass catching backs though, an absolute monster last year, Austin Eckler. And it seems pretty torn on whether he's actually a riser or faller in the fantasy community. In my eyes, it's a no brainer. He's a riser, uh, but I'd love your take. Obviously, you know, Melvin Gordon's now gone but then a lot of people, oh, Philip Rivers is gone. He loves to pepper his running back. Certainly true. Uh, but I don't know. To me, the the pros of this offseason definitely outweigh the cons. What's your view on Eckler coming into
0: 2020? Yeah, I think it's all pros, man. We're, when the RB1 leaves the team, I mean, you look at yeah. Eckler last year, weeks one through four, without Melvin Gordon. PPR RB2, got only McCaffrey. <laughs> he was a workhorse, and we're talking 70% plus snaps. We're getting 18, 20 touches a game. And that was without Gordon. When Gordon came back, Eckler was still good enough receiving to be a PPR RB like five, I think the rest of the way. I mean, he was, he's just that good. We saw him be that good the two previous years. And now we're just taking away Gordon. If Gordon was still there and we lost Phillip rivers, I would understand the outrage because such a high percentage of Eckler's production is coming from the receiving, but he doesn't have to catch 90 balls. He doesn't have to get nine receiving touchdowns again, because he's now just the undisputed lead running back, which wasn't the given during the second half of last year. So, I mean, look, they didn't add anyone other than fourth round, Joshua Kelly. Pretty clear he's in a compete with Justin Jackson. And even before this last year, when Melvin missed a couple games before, we were seeing Eckler get a featured three-down roll. They gave Eckler a long-term contract. I don't know how many more things we need the Chargers to do to signal he is going to be their Bell Cow back. I understand he's like a little bit small, but he's still stock. He doesn't miss time. I mean, the Eckler hate, I don't quite get it. It's not even hate, but people just can't accept this guy as an RB1, and that's all he does. I know yeah. Tyrod's not going to feed him quite as well, but let's remember, I mean, the McCoy in those Buffalo offenses was the RB19, only only played 12 games, and then the RB4 and the RB7 when he actually played the whole yeah. year. I think that RB7, RB4 range firmly in the, in the range of uh, outcomes for Austin Eckler in 2020. Absolutely, and, and
1: McCoy. Yeah, he didn't have a, a ninety-two catch season like Eckler, but he still saw seventy-five targets, still had over fifty receptions in both those seasons that you're highlighting. So I think it's definitely well overblown that Philip Rivers just peppers him, and it's part of the the Anthony Lynn system. He he had uh, you know Lashawn McCoy back in the day. He was the the coach there. So I, I totally think that Eckler, is is his name's just getting spit on for no reason. 18, 23, 16, 23 touches in those four games before Gordon came back. Not another running back even came close. No one hit 10 touches in that span. Maybe he loses goal line work, yeah, to Josh Kelly, but I'm fully with you. Follow the contract. Follow the pass usage under the same exact coach. I'm all about Eckler. I I love every report that comes out that he's going to be in a three-headed monster committee because it's just driving his price to the round two value, and it's insane to me how clear-cut. He is. What What do you think about him versus Miles Sanders? Those are kind of those like popular second round backs. Who do you have higher among those guys?
0: I have. Let me see. I have Austin Eckler. Put you Eckler. on the spot here. <laughs> you know you're good. I have Eckler eight, and I have Sanders at twelve. Honestly, yeah. I think. I mean, because I have the Big Six as uh, obviously. McCaffrey, Barkley, Zeke, Cook, Kamara, Henry, and then from there, I mean, I think Mixon probably deserves that RB seven spot, but any of those next five guys with Drake, Jacobs, Chubb, I think you can kind of interchange them. They're both RB ones, that's for sure.
1: Absolutely, I love that whole tier you just cited too. Obviously, you got your big six, but that that second tier right there. I mean, I do. A, I think I've cited this before, even when I've recorded with you, but in auction drafts, like that's my sweet spot coming into this year. Yeah. You can get them for you know 15, 20 bucks cheaper than those. You know, major horses. You can probably come away with three of those guys rather than one or two max. I'm all about it, and I I love that. I love that whole tier. He's at the top of it uh, for me, right behind Nixon. Um, After him, you know, another guy that certainly gained value, but is definitely polarizing, especially because of injuries. James Conner. Most expected him to kind of enter the year on a hot seat. He only finished eight full games. It seemed like he had what thirty different injuries. It was ridiculous last year, and still the team only adds one running back, and it's a fourth rounder, Anthony McFarland, who definitely profiles more as a change of pace guy. So, what do you think of Connor? Is he going to be the workhorse, and will you give him another shot on your fantasy squads?
0: You know, I did that big backfield breakdown before the draft, and I was kind of out on Connor because it was just such a muddled situation in the second half of last year, but. Man, a uh, uh, f- friend of the pod, friend of mine, John Daigle with a Roto-World did mm. this blurb up on RotoWorld.com where this is what Tomlin said about James Connor. I'm a featured runner type of guy. My mentality, um, no question today's game, a featured runner needs to be supplemented and supplemented by guys who are capable of doing similar things in case he misses time. Usually when it's going well, it's because you have a lead dog out there and that guy is a featured runner. James is a featured guy and proven runner, one healthy. We're excited about getting him back to healthy and explaining that in 2020. Sounds to me like James Conner is getting the future role. And from 2014 to 2018, no matter who it was, Le'Veon, Conner, D'Angelo Williams, even when Steven Ridley went out there for a couple of games, yeah. they're getting 17-plus touches. I think Conner is getting every chance to do that again. You know, if the guy gets hurt, again, that sucks. But, again, we've talked about this on like the wide receiver pod. If the only thing you can say about a guy that's bad is, well, he might get injured, be really sure of that you, you want to die in that hill. Especially, too, when that's baked into the price.
1: I mean, fourth, fifth-round exactly. price tag. It's like, okay, yeah, it's a risk. He, he could miss some times, but that could probably be your third running back right there, your, your flex for a guy that last year averaged 17.4 games points per game in the full games he played. Yeah, I know it was only eight. That's the running back nine, and that was with friggin garbage at quarterback, like everything going wrong around him. It was just a season ago, this guy was literally the MVP of fantasy on more championship rosters than anybody else. Else, that role is still there. And speaking of that bell cow role, I kind of used roto one of my favorite sites, to kind of break down you know, how many opportunities they generate and how you know sexy this actually is, and if it's true. 24.65 opportunities per game, attempts and targets uh, in terms of opportunities for the lead running back one in, since 2014. That, as you mentioned, was D'Angelo Williams, was Le'Veon Bell, <laughs> was James Conner. So, I mean, only one of those guys is a true cut, like, oh my god, elite talent here. None have finished. finished. Finished worse than 21.9 opportunities, 18.5 points per game, or the running back six in fantasy. They average a 2.57 finish as a running back in fantasy so top three oh, above top three average and again that's like d'angelo williams putting up 16 touchdowns and 1800 total yards at, at age like 32 so i mean it is a featured back system and james connor is that guy this year so i mean at fourth and fifth round price i hate the injuries too but yeah i'm with you like that if that's the worst thing you got then, then you gotta roll with it we highlighted chris carson too at the top of the show uh and the fact that carlos hyde was added obviously unfortunate you, you want the guy to be just the clear-cut bell cow. How worried are you, though? How dramatically does this change your outlook for Carson in 2020?
0: I feel like the Hyde signing was more for Rashad Penny, who had the Mm -hmm. late season torn ACL. Sounds like... I I saw an update on it. It it wasn't amazing. He might be on schedule with the recovery, but he's certainly not ahead of schedule from what it sounded like. And the DJ Dallas thing, I mean, look, I've I've looked at some stuff on the guy and it seems like he's a good enough scat back, but anytime there's a non-top-three-round running back drafted, we just really got to kind of check Expectations. I mean, there's only been uh five, I believe, running backs drafted outside of the top three rounds that have gone on to be even an RB2 as a rookie. So maybe DJ can go steal some targets and complicate things a little bit, but I have a hard time seeing DJ getting that future role chance. I think Hyde's there for a backup. It's all landing back for Chris Carson being the future guy again. It's just so risky because, I mean, okay, every single running back in the league has injury risks that we should worry about. Carson's fumble risk is unlike anyone else's because right. we've already seen him. Fail to do this, get benched multiple times for it. I think it's pretty clear the Seahawks are not happy about it. I mean, it's just, uh, I don't hate Carson. The upside's there, but, you know, against a lot of these guys, against the James Connors, against the David Johnsons of the world, I'd almost rather have them, man. It's totally fair. Though The one thing I do love about Carson is it,
1: the fumbles are you know devastating. He had those couple games last year where it, it ruined him. But ultimately, he saw 16 or more touches in 93% of the games, 18 or more in 86% of the games, and he was a running back one or two 86% of the time. I mean, that's like the clearest cut volume equals fantasy production that you can see. Is he a great special talent? Not really. I mean, he's a bruiser that, that gets what's blocked and breaks some tackles. I like the guy a lot to watch him play. But ultimately, if he's going to still be in that 16 to 18 weekly touch range, i I don't see any reason why he won't again be one of those. 86% of the time, a running back one or two, was among the most consistent fantasy products. Even if his ceiling isn't going to win you too many weeks, uh, the guy just churns and churns and churns. I love him as like a running back, too. Or now, as you said, a flex, if he's going in that corner, that type of range, just your steady flex right there could be an intriguing value. Uh, We'll just see how involved Hyde is. But rumor has it, he's hurt, too, right? So, I mean... Who knows what his surgery, uh, shoulder surgery he just had. Uh, another guy right in that range, too. This is kind of one of the most interesting tiers of running backs that we're, we're just kind of unraveling, unpacking here. You have the Carsons, the James Connors in that fifth round. We also have Raheem Mostert, who's kind of in the opposite trend, where he's been trending upward, upward, upward since everything's happened, I mean, And still no one seems to recognize it. You know, Bat Breed is gone now. Trent Williams is in at left tackle, just an absolute mauler who's going to fit this blocking scheme perfectly. He's still going at the end of round five, sometimes even round Round six in early drafts, Raheem Mostert. So clearly people aren't sold. Do you like him? What are your thoughts on Raheem Mostert for next year?
0: I think people like him, but the trap we're kind of falling into is like when we have teammates and one of them is a much better value, like Tevin Coleman is here. Yeah. For looking at a probable two back backfield touches, you know, I mean when Tevin Coleman just balls out in the divisional round and has like eight touches <laughs> the rest of the way and Mostert balls out in the NFC Championship and then can barely even get the full-time job in the Super Bowl so Shanahan we know he can do a hot hand but we also have seen him with Alfred Morris and guys over the years the guy's not afraid of committing to a single back we just haven't seen him do it in recent history with Sam Fran and losing Brita it does seem like we're looking at a more condensed backfield I'm worried about the Jeff Wilson resigning because we do mm. seen him slide in. and also the Jarek McKinnon murmurs are getting up there yep. You know, Debo, Ayuk apparently, Jalen Hurd, all these guys can maybe get some rush attempts too. It's an offense with a whole lot of weapons everywhere. I don't mind uh, being, you know, having exposure to anyone in there. It's a risky pick. Again, I think i take my James Connors. Like, I'd probably even take David Montgomery over Raheem Mostert, I think. But, wow, yeah, I, I, he, you want to come away with these backs though because, again, in this range, in this tier, like after it, it gets rough. So, you know, even if you can poke some holes in the Raheem Mosters of the world, I mean, I think take him rather than some of these wide receivers going the same range just for positional uh, scarcity. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's kind of like that tier we're discussing after that tier. I mean,
1: maybe ended ends with that David Montgomery, like workhorse role. It just, it's complete crapshoot. There's not really any running backs I want. So even if that means I have like four, five running backs and only two wide receivers, I'm okay with that in my drafts, just because the position, it's such a high injury rate. And it's so inconsistent that when you can lock in those three, you know, horses, I'm all about it. And most are adding, you know, 20 pounds of muscle or something like that. You never know with those, that can kind of swing both ways. Right? Maybe he gets a little more sluggish, or maybe it's what allows him to really be featured, but one of my favorite beats, his name's Grant Cohen, and he came on the pod and was like, I'm seeing 15-plus touches maybe this year, the way he's bulked up. Uh, I love that guy, and, and I've always trusted his opinion, so... Ultimately, if he gets that work, I mean, he he's just, we see him glide. He's a perfect fit for that zone-blocking scheme. The shenanigans, as you po- pointed out, though, the, we've seen it ever since, you know, his dad's always done it. So you never quite know which guy's going to be featured on a week. But if they do commit, I mean, that could end up being like, you know, 1,500 ridiculous amount of touchdowns type like Aaron Jones season where the guy finally just gets all the work. We can't rule that up, you know that chance out, so the ceiling is extremely high. I don't think the floor is all that low either i I'm a big mostert fan at his current price and that tier in general. Uh, uh, you know, after him, you know, Breeder, we just talked about, he goes to Miami, uh, and it's kind of looking like a, you know, thunder and lightning type of backfield here. Uh, i say both are pretty big risers, just in the fact that nobody was really considering besides bench fodder, and now you could potentially slide them into your flex, maybe. I, I don't know, though. It's the Dolphins. It was so gross last year. Do you have any interest in either of these guys? How do you see it playing out?
0: It's just, yeah, well, like I said, it's gross, man. I mean, I. I... <laughs> Brita is really talented. I, I love his athletic profile like every other fantasy analyst. You know, he's had some really fun runs. That one he had against Sensio, he was just juking all over the place. It's wild. You know, he's shown some ability as a receiver, but it's kind of concerning to me. All the nice things we always say about Kyle Shanahan, how much of a genius he is, and he was very willing to just let Brita, you know, go to Miami. It's not like they were paying him much money to keep him there anyway. And, you know, fumbles last year, they haven't been throughout his career, but at least last year they landed him on the bench for a bit and now he's going to like he's not going to see more touches i think than we probably would have expected in san fran in miami because jordan howard is somehow only 25 i swear he's like 30 but this dude is just made to keep you know receiving running backs from getting a three down roll because jordan howard's fine he's very solid but he's not going to catch the ball he is going to soak up 200 plus carries he was on his way to doing that in philly last year uh before getting hurt so Healthier Howard, I mean, the offensive line was probably the worst in the league last year. I know they devoted some high draft picks to it, as they should. But even with a big leap forward, we're talking about a below-average offensive line and a committee and an offense whose 38-year-old quarterback led the team in rushing last year. So, (laughs) nah, man. You know, again, they're cheap, so – I don't mind taking shots on him in like the RB, late RB 30, 40 range, kind of like where they're going. So it's, it's you know you're not drafting Matt Breida and then cursing him for like losing you your fantasy season right. or anything like that with where he's going. But no, it's kind of because he's being drafted there for a reason. It's hard to be too positive about this situation.
1: Yeah, the only thing I do like about it, all those points, I mean, why do you want a committee back on a gross offense that a gross offensive line, I mean, there's nothing to really argue against that. It's it's bad practice, but that's baked into the price. And the one thing I do like about this and it's kind of a similar profile way back in the day was you know Fred Jackson under Chan Gailey and CJ Spiller. I mean, they both had some intriguing usage trends even in a committee there. It seemed like that was the one guy that knew how to kind of unlock CJ Spiller. We had that monster season out of him with uh, Chan Gailey at the controls, and then even Fred Jackson kind of profiles of that Jordan Howard role. I mean, he was on pace. There's one year, I got to tweet this one out. He was on pace for 2,200 yards one year in uh, 10 touchdowns under Chan Gailey, which is just in, absolutely insane. He was absolutely balling out. He was like a seventh or eighth round pick because it was, you know, a running back on a black team, and he just went ham. So, I mean, maybe there is just a slight little bit of upside, some sneaky, unsexy upside here. They're both risers, but yeah, I'm with you. Like, it's not I'm not going out of my way to get either one. Another one that kind of fits that bleh profile, but like maybe there's upside here. That's Ronald Jones. We all kind of expected the Bucks to go running back heavy. We all kind of dreamed over Jonathan Taylor being a three down horse there. And then they go and select, you know, Keyshawn Vaughn. Okay, you know, is he going to take the role or not? Intriguing backfield, though, right? Because this offense is going to probably be top five in the league. And they already just were, and now they you get Tom Brady in there, it's at least going to lessen the turnovers and probably increase your scoring chances. The line gets beefed up with a first line, uh, first round tackle there, and, and we know Brady loves peppering his running back, so this backfield definitely comes with upside. Do you think Ronald Jones can and should be the guy? Do you think it's going to be Keyshawn
0: Vaughn? Uh, what do you see from this backfield. So I would take the under on them being a top five offense, that, but Ooh. everyone does think that. And that's why we're seeing Goblin and Evans still being wide receiver ones. Yeah. Brady projected to have his best fantasy season in years, you know, Gronk's going tight M one category. These running backs though are still chilling and it seemed like people kind of glossed over Vaughn because, you know, Ronald Jones is still younger than him. And I know not a lot of pre-draft, uh, you know, rankings had Vaughn kind of considered as that, Highly ranked, a running back. He is top three round pick, but you know it does. It's different than than drafting. You know Jonathan Taylor or someone with true workhorse qualities. So I can see it. The problem is we still have Derry Ogunbowale, however the heck you he say his last <laughs> And like this dude was the problem last year. If it was yeah. just Vaughn and Rojo, that'd be fine. I'd be down to invest in those guys. But Derry played as many snaps as Peyton and Rojo all last season, and it was because of Derry that Ronald couldn't get that pass game work. Vaughn is seemingly kind of coming for that. That's that's one of his, uh, you know, bigger strengths coming out of Vandy, but, <laughs> excuse me, mm. the problem with, I mean, it's just, again, it's a three-back committee probably, and I have no reason to believe it's going to evolve. If Ron couldn't beat out Peyton Barber in Derry last right. year, like I don't know that this is like an easier situation for him to do it. He's, he's still young, so maybe he's just going to take a, you know, leap forward as he goes, but it's just a lot of projection. But, again, of all the guys in the Buccaneers' offense, he's running back, surprisingly – Are the cheapest and it might be the least crowded kind of spot.
1: Yeah, it is ugly. And you bring up the name that nobody talks about, Dare, whatever the hell it is. That's, I mean, an interesting one definitely to to bring up there. It could just be an ugly. The reason they're so cheap is because no one wants them, because they shouldn't want them. We'll see on that one because, I mean, the Patriots' backfields are always committee based, so we're, we're used to that. And yet they still always rank. I, I saw this stat, I forget the exact one, but like out of top five like total backfield points, because of how voluminously, you know, Brady has targeted his running backs, who knows if that's Ronald Jones's forte anyways, he certainly took a nice step as the, as a receiver last year, averaging a solid amount, almost a first down per catch. But uh yeah, I'm with you. Like I'm I'm not going out of my way for any of these Bucks guys, despite the, the upside that is attached to that offense. Other than that, I mean, those are guys that definitely their volume is looking better than many probably expected in the offseason. The other way, as I mentioned, people could get big upgrades is surrounding talent, and especially at. The offensive line, a guy I see that with one of the best off from one of the worst offensive lines to potentially one of the top ones in the league, just in one fell swoop, would be Nick Chubb with the Browns. They were horrendous last year, and then they just really secure. They were okay on the interior line, but their tackle play was just some of the worst I've ever seen. And then they go and get Jack Conklin. They draft Jedrick Wills as their first round pick. Uh, Get Kevin Stefanski, a run heavy guy, in there. I I get Kareem Hunt, a full season of him. And there's some splits. I don't know if you'll have discuss some of those. Certainly is worrisome, but yet those upgrades on the line. Like, I feel like Chubb could lead the league in rushing. What do you think of this uh, this offense and, and Nick Chubb in general for next year?
0: I think he nailed him, man. I mean, the Hunt splits weren't amazing. Chubb went from being like the RB six to the RB fifteen when Hunt was there. Hunt yeah. was able to be the RB seventeen. So I mean, they were both giving you RB two uh, PPR value even on the field at the same time because. I mean, so Chubb was having this awesome, like 80% snap rate usually, and then Chubb and then Hunt came back and it kind of went down to 60, 70, yeah. but they were really using a whole lot of two RB formations, using Hunt out wide as a true receiver. And you look at their depth chart, I mean, I think Dave Njoku is going to play a little bit more than people think uh, alongside Austin Hooper, but they really did not add a number three wide receiver. So I think we can kind of safely project them to, again, not use all that many three wide receiver sets, mm-hmm. which is good news for both these running backs. Like you said, man, I mean, with that happening last year, Chubb had 298 carries. I mean, almost 1,500 rushing yards. The guy's incredible. He's like a more agile Derrick Henry almost mm-hmm. out there. He's in the same situation as Henry and Josh Jacobs were like, it'd be great if they could have more pass game work. I think all those guys could do good things with more targets. And, you know, maybe if there's a couple of injuries, if Kareem Hunt gets hurt, I mean, Chubb's going to fall out. If Chubb right. gets hurt, Hunt's going to fall out. So, like, they have that RB1 overall ability if uh, if the targets, but if not, we're still looking at over 300 touches just from the rushing workload. So, I mean, it's, you know, we talk about, you want the pass game floor, 300 touches, 300 rush attempts, isn't a bad floor as well. No, especially because of, I keep bringing up zone blocking
1: schemes. We we talked about with Raheem Mostert. I just love a good, it's like magic to me. I was an offensive lineman back when I played ball. And like when you just see a line that works in cohesion and, and, just, it's just a beautiful thing—a good zone blocking scheme. And Stefanski trained under the Kubiak master of it all. And we saw what it did for Dalvin Cook last year. Obviously, an elite talent, but when you put him in a system that just fits everything so perfectly, the guy was insane last year. And I totally could see Nick Chubb. Just he, he's already such a good runner. We all know how great he is, but with his vision and his agility and the ability to break tackles, I mean, this guy yards after con. It's it just it, to me, it's going to be that perfect marriage. And I, I do see those touches. Kind of favoring Chubb a little bit more because the offense just seems built more to his strengths. Kareem Hunt's still also an amazing runner too, so like you said, Either one could be the RB1 if the other goes down. But yeah, I, I love Chubb, and that's kind of why I think he could lead the league in rushing is the scheme uh, and the offensive line improvements there. Another guy who did gain some offensive line support, I still don't know if I'm going to go back to this guy, but that's Le'Veon Bell. The Jets do make it a clear focus that you know Joe Douglas of the Eagles, his whole philosophy is building the line first. They select that mauling, uh, Mekhi Beckton from Louisville in round one, and then they add some other beef, George Fant, a, a new center. They add some field stretchers, Bashad Perriman and Denzel Mims, and then they also bring in Frank Gore's corpse. Adam Gase is still there. I don't know. What do you think of Le'Veon Bell next year?
0: I mean, it's not looking good at all. Gase has, <laughs> never, Gase has never backed up this. Gase has been like publicly mad ever since he got the job about them yeah. giving Bell so much money. I mean, Le'Veon, to his credit, he's saying good things for the most part. Like, yeah, when they just let Robbie walk and things, you know, maybe he's not the most happy guy, but... I don't know Jamal Adams and Le'Veon. Like it's almost like Gates wants to make these guys out to be problems. They just go out there and play really hard. I mean, I know last year sucked for Le'Veon, but you know, as he said, he was playing behind one of the worst offensive lines in the league by far. Still did good things when he was asked to kind of split out in the slot and go play outside, which I always thought was what separated him yeah. from other running backs in his time as Pittsburgh. I mean, truly just an amazing receiver. And the problem is, man, it might be Frank Gore's corpse, but clearly they wouldn't have signed him if they didn't have the attention of giving Gore. 100 plus touches even this rookie running back they drafted he's kind of more of a scat back so that could take away from bells targets man it's like even just one interview of adam gase saying you know what we really think levion's a great talent you know we're excited to have him as our starting running right. back maybe then i could change my mind but as this is looks like a committee mess i could i mean bells in a situation where you know with we've seen adam gase's trade away jay Ajayi, you know six games in the year it's a volatile situation Give me Jameson Crowder for how cheap is. You know, give me Chris Herndon at the bottom of the tight end yeah. barrel. For using a top twenty RB pick on Le'Veon, no thanks.
1: Absolutely. I'm, I'm full agreement with you there. I mean, I, I feel like I was writing an article like three years ago, Frank Gore's corpse isn't going to impact Kenyon Drake, and yet Drake could never be unleashed because Gore was there taking all the goal line touches. The corpse of Gore has been the corpse for like 10 years, and he's still – I hate to say it because he is still such a hard runner and he's still getting yeah. it done. It, I mean, the guy's still a beast. I don't mean any disrespect He's sure. one of the best you know, <laughs> runners out there, but it, it is true. Gase has had this guy ruin people's values before. I'm more nervous about it than I think. Many are, and I'm not touching it. I'm not touching that backfield. I would like the guys you cited there. Those are really the only two pieces I want of the Jets, uh, if if them even. The last two guys, I mean, they, they didn't have a ton of room to rise, but I did want to highlight, you know, when an offense – just surrounding a player takes off that can just even raise ceilings further. And I see that potentially happening here with two first-rounders in Ezekiel Elliott. I mean, you don't really need enough more reason to love him. And also Joe Mixon. And both of them gain, whether it's Zeke getting C.D. Lamb there and this just potentially being one of those offenses that just never comes off the field. And then Joe Mixon, you get you know, Joe Burrow, obviously a huge injection. You get Jonah Williams, their first-round pick last year back. Where, you know, how high of upside do you see these guys having? I know they can't rise a ton, but what are your kind of projections for these two studs with a better situation next year?
0: I think Zeke's got to be anyone's RB3 behind McCaffrey and Barkley, probably Mm -hmm. just in that order. And his targets could go up. We saw him get a bunch more receptions in 2018 when Jason Witten was retired, and he's, you know... I want my underneath targets going to Zeke over Witten too, so that should be a net positive for the offense. They have the second most available targets from last year. I know Jarwin, I know um, CD are going to have plenty to say about those, but it's just an amazing offense. Again, you know, it's the Zeke show. He's the engine of it. So Tony Pollard's great, so is Zeke, and we see no evidence that Pollard's going to eat into Zeke's touches. So keep firing up Zeke as an RB3. As for Mixon, man, I feel like Mixon has proven, I think, Uh, to be a better receiver dating back to his days in college than Josh Jacobs, Derrick Henry, Nick Chubb. But I think he more or less has the same role and we're kind of overhyping Mixon, hoping he gets these targets because he can't handle it. He's a great three down back. I don't doubt that. But at the same time, I mean, Mixon had 45 targets last year. Giovanni Bernard had 43. They just, I mean, last season they re-signed Bernard to another multi-year deal. There's no reason to believe Giovanni Bernard is going anywhere. He hasn't gone anywhere for the last decade. Yeah. <laughs> Bring him back, Zach Taylor. I mean, hey, hey, the touchdown efficiency could spike with Burrow. Mixing that 278 carries last year, like I'm saying, it'd be great if we had this target floor. Even though he doesn't, there's plenty of upside there, especially if the touchdowns come. Same thing for Chubb, but he doesn't. So again, I think after the top five, I'd even put top six with Henry. There's just a big gap. Yeah, I totally see that gap with you
1: too. I do think the touchdowns that you cited there, that that's what I do see happening for Mixon at, at a nice higher level. I mean, imagine you put the total yardage volume that he was getting and you add – instead of, you know, seven or eight, whatever he finished with touchdowns, you get 12 to 15 because Joe Burrow ends up being that good. I know we talked about him on our quarterback show. If you guys haven't listened to that, make sure you go back. Fantastic one. Uh, But Ian's definitely high on Joe Burrow. And I am too. I mean, the guy has some serious upside. And if this offense just sparks, I mean, there could be a a legit doubling of touchdowns and that's a a shitload of points. So, I mean, I I also love the fact, the one stat I also saw was the Bengals red zone running back touches. Mixon had 69. percent for weeks one through eight before the buy and then after the buy he had 83 percent of the red zone touches i don't know why he wasn't getting them all i don't know what changed that philosophy but we all saw him become you know like the rb awful bust of the year type of guy early on to a guy that was starting to carry people towards the end of the season if you somehow were able to survive those first few weeks going from 15 touches per game to 24.1, the third most in the league over that span. So I I hope that just type of workload continues and the offense just takes that next step forward. It could be just a a beautiful marriage of everything. Now, I I don't mean to put you on the spot here because there's one running back I'm realizing I didn't put either as a faller or a riser, and that's because I didn't know necessarily what to label him as, but I feel like for a show dedicated to the offseason whose values are changing... We got to kind of talk about Melvin Gordon, and I know you know again I don't have this on the agenda. So if you are you know if you if you don't have anything on Gordon or you don't have anything on the cop, I totally understand. But I just realized I completely overlooked him as somebody that that changed a team this offseason. So we should break that down. Do you consider him a, a riser? A lot of people think he falls because Denver's offense just wasn't that great last year. Now he leaves the the Chargers where he's been so successful. I see some upside here too, though. What what are your thoughts
0: on Melvin Gordon in Denver? Now, I think he's a riser. I mean, he had the awful after he got back from the holdout. I mean, he like just didn't have a run over like seven yards for like three weeks. Or something. <laughs> it was, it was really bad. But I mean, I remember like the Packers game. A couple games later in the year, he was back to being that kind of stud with the ball in his hands. This guy led all running backs in broken tackles from 2016 to wow. 2018. I mean, he's legit. I know uh, you know, that kind of injury concerns float around with him a little bit earlier in his career, but he more or less powered through those. I think it's great because the one thing he does a lot better than Lindsay is receiving. So even yeah. though it is probably going to be a two-back committee, I think uh, we're going to see Gordon kind of have that. You know, same thing with Miles Sanders. Like, no, I don't think he's going to be the workhorse necessarily, but we know he can be, and he's probably going to be the lead back with the receiving role anyway. So, you know, I I found myself higher on Melvin Gordon the most. And going to Denver, I mean, we might have a better offensive line, and he should get more receiving work than you would have, uh, you know, having to split it with Austin Eckler. So, no, yeah, I, I think the arrow's pointing up with Melvin.
1: Absolutely, and the the workload too under Pat Shermer, their new offensive coordinator, there's tons of stats about how this guy is just a bell cow breeder. I mean, we all saw Saquon Barkley, so that's kind of seared into our mind, but we've seen Steven Jackson do it before. LaShawn McCoy had huge seasons. Uh, I mean, he def, uh, there's a stat uh, looking right here, 308.7 300 carries per season, 83.9% of the team's share, and 61.3 targets per season for his running back ones. And he... he First came out and said, I need my running back to be able to do it all, to be able to catch. There's three elements to it, and that's one of the most important. So, as you said, that's the huge edge that he has to stay on the field. Mike Kliss, their their beat writer that everyone says is like tied to John Elway, says Gordon's going to be the bell cow. I'm told it's only a two-year deal, so they're going to kind of ride him out. I I totally see the volume, a better offensive line. They were number 12 in pro football focuses as compared to 29th for the Chargers. So I think there's a ton of upside here just because it's an uglier offense on on first glance. I mean, what if Drew Locke also takes a step, too, and this offense becomes that much better? They're going to certainly be in shootouts and track meets. I love it, too. I'm with you. I consider him a riser. I've seen a ton of articles about him going down, and I just don't get it. Uh, but now we are going to get to the fallers. Unless I don't think there's anybody I missed, but by all means, let me know if I did. Uh, but what about fallers? Is there anybody you consider like the single biggest clear-cut faller of this offseason? I think it's got to be
0: Damian Williams, just because yeah. you had a guy who was last year. I mean, he, he was hurt like all season, so it's kind of weird if you just go – game by game, but like when he was healthy at the beginning and then at the end and through the playoffs, he was playing a legit three-down role in, you know, the league's most explosive offense i think we'd all I know the ravens had that crown last year but yeah. anytime you can line up next to patrick mahomes for 80 snaps in the game you gotta love that and the dude was just racking up multi-touchdown games in the playoffs david williams is a legit three down back and he's proven that but now like you know you don't draft clyde edwards lair in the first round to do anything but give him the ball i think dame is good enough and he's done enough things for his organization especially in the playoffs to not just hit the bench but that's a possibility. I mean, would it be shocking if Clyde gets that first snap of the season? So that's now on the table. Again, I I think the most likely scenario is at least a two back committee of sorts. And if it's just Dame and Clyde fifty fifty and they're both kinda, you know, working in that Mark Ingram, Kamara, where like both guys are more or less trusted to be a three down back when they're on the field, it can definitely work. But there's just so much more uncertainty now for Dame than, you know, before we were looking at him going, okay, all they added was, uh, you know, DeAndre Washington or whatever should be the Dame show again. So to me, Damian Williams' biggest follower.
1: Absolutely. And I I totally see that one. And, you say maybe it is a two-back system, but that just isn't how Andy Reid's ever operated. I think there is that the very real concern that rookies are going to come along slower because of all this COVID-19 and you can't have the time with the team. So there, that's a very real and legitimate argument. Uh, but I do think there it's only a matter of time before it is the Clyde Edwards, uh hilaire show there. And that's why I have him in my round two, You know, about 20 spots higher than the ECR. Maybe I'm undervaluing Williams because I'm with you. He's a he's a great player. I remember you called even on the Super Bowl, right? Then you tweet out like a hundred yards and two TDs, and sure yeah. enough, <laughs> he gets robbed of his MVP uh, in that one. That they won me some DraftKings money that day. I, I certainly will thank you for that one. Uh, but yeah, uh, there's a ton of them, and we're going to kind of rapid fire through a bunch of them of just guys that have rookies that might just be better than them and could be as early as this year taking a back seat. One guy I don't think's going to take a complete back seat but I do think is sneakily impacted, or could be. We'll see how it unfolds. That's Aaron Jones. I do think he's going to be the number one guy there. I, I still see him as the best running back there, but I am worried about, I mean, we all kind of knew he was due for touchdown regression, but they add A.J. Dillon, and he's a bruiser. I mean, he's a Derrick Henry-style big back that was it was great at the goal line. I don't know. Are you worried about Aaron Jones being vultured, and are you worried about him after his running back two finish in 2019?
0: I don't think vultures really exist as we kind of think of them. Like, we, There's no Mike Tolberts these days that just come on every single time he hit <laughs> the goal line, but at a minimum, A.J. Dillon is definitely going to take early down work, and if it's his turn to be in on the drive, I mean, he's going to be the guy. If they get down inside the five-yard line, that gets the ball. I mean, we want Aaron Jones to have a featured three down roll because he's that freaking good, but everything the Packers are doing, and the kid, he's not going to be getting it. Yeah, scoring 19 touchdowns and 285 touches isn't going to happen again. So we have to keep that in mind at first. And Dylan just doesn't help because Jamal Williams is still there. And Aaron Jones only played at least 60% of the offensive snaps in two games that Jamal Williams was healthy in last year. And then even uh, Devontae Adams, like we had that one game. Um, I think it was against the Chiefs when Aaron Jones like literally set the yeah. next gen that's a record for most receiving yards by like a running back lined up as a wide receiver. He can do everything. He, like screens deep. The dude is a legit talented receiver. But as soon as Devontae Adams came back, we saw Aaron Jones targets just get cut in half pretty much. So players there, but on a team that was, much closer to a five hundred squad in terms of efficiency. You know, good for them for going nine and one and one score games last year, but I really think the Packers are taking a step back this year. And, you know, I'm not about to invest a top twelve pick in Aaron Jones to, so, you know, ride that train.
1: Yeah, I'm with you. I mean he's even below that second tier of running backs that we've been talking about in my opinion. The the Drakes, the Eckler's like, I don't even put him in that same tier to me. He's more of like an early third rounder, which could be insane. Again, the running back two last year. Uh, but when 114 of his 314 points came on touchdowns, 36%. I mean, that's going to be tricky to project. Whether or not there is a vulture, that's still obviously going to regress. And, I mean, that Adam stat, I didn't even have that one down. That's a a fantastic thing to consider, too, is the target share. As talented as he is, as deserving of a potential three-down role as he is, and he's going to be a free agent next year. So hopefully he can finally get somewhere where he does get that. Yeah, if you can't get 60% of the snaps when Jamal Williams is your only competition, then what the fuck can we expect? Yeah, I'm with you totally there. Uh, the next guy, so as you said, Damian Williams kind of is lumped into a big group. So, I mean, rather than just kind of repeating, yep, he's a threat to his volume, we, we get that kind of narrative. But you can just kind of tell me how hard you think some of these veterans are hit. I'll just kind of quickly fire them and you tell me what you think of this backfield. Because, I mean, there's Marlon Mack and Jonathan Taylor with the Colts. What do you think is going to happen there?
0: It sucks. I do think we see a three RB committee of sorts with uh, Naeem Hines getting there. for the Just, I mean, look, Jonathan Taylor's awesome, but Frank Wright was also the coach in 2015 when the Chargers drafted Melvin Gordon in the first round. You went ahead and made Danny Woodhead their feature back anyway. (laughs) I don't don't necessarily see Marlon Mack pulling away from Jonathan or anything, but just expect, like, those last six games of last year, the Colts were using three running backs, kind of 40, 50, Mm -hmm. 20 snap splits. At least early on in the season, I think we're going to be annoyed at the lack of Jonathan Taylor touches. I don't see either guy really pulling away for at least the first half.
1: What about with the Lions and carry-on Johnson and DeAndre Swift now being there?
0: Complete mess. I'm way more willing to take a <laughs> chance on Taylor just because I don't think it's, again, like a lot of these places, if it was carry-on, DeAndre, and underrated Lions offense, let's, let's boogie. I'm in. But I think Ty Johnson and or Bo Scarborough are going to get freaking involved here. Cut down the snaps for everyone. It's a team that wanted to feature carry on the last two years, and they saw firsthand how they got their one of the best players sent to IR immediately. <laughs> it does not seem like a team that no matter what happens, we're going to need multiple injuries for any of these guys to get a feature role.
1: Oh, that is disgusting! Just talking about it like pisses me off. But what about uh, what about the Ravens and Mark Ingram, who was just a monster last year, and as this offense exploded? But then they add J.K. Dobbins, who I think fits this backfield to perfection. Is that going to be a one-two puncher? Is Ingram going to just disappear? What do, what do you think of this? These guys,
0: uh, Ingram's definitely not disappearing. We yeah. need Gus Edwards to disappear, and yeah. it should happen. The Ravens said Dobbins is their number one running back in this draft. You know they took him in the second round. But Gus Edwards doesn't suck, man. The guy leads the NFL in yards for carry. It's success rate. Like, he's not busting. He can't bring you what J.K. Dobbins can bring you. It would make all the sense in the world for Dobbins to pretty much take Gus Edwards and Justice Hill's roles. It yeah. just is Gus going to be bad enough for that to happen. So, again, I hope we see Ingram, Dobbins 50-50, Ingram, Kamara 2.0 all over again. That's both go be RB2s or something. But a little worried about the Gus thing. But I, I'm still more in on Dobbins, I think, overall.
1: I I love Dobbins. I, I mean, and Ingram is gonna be I think thirty-one. Enter, he's thirty already. He's gonna enter, turn thirty-one during the season. I, I get his treads a little lighter than most running backs at that age. But yeah, I mean, if this became the Dobbins show, because Ingram goes down. I guess just my gut feeling. I think Ingram's going to have a bad injury. There's obviously no way to project or prove that. <laughs> and just in my gut, I'm like, J.K. Dobbins is going to win leagues this year. All I right. feel like I feel like Ingram's going to go down, and Dobbins the second half of the year is just going to be—he's too perfect of a fit. They—they they couldn't <laughs> pass him up. I trust the Ravens scouting so much. I couldn't believe he fell as far as he did. I was hoping he'd go to Pittsburgh. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm with you. I I think you know it could be a great one-two punch. Uh, and maybe if one of them, if, if Dobbins could take over, holy hell! What yeah, about the Rams' backfield? Like, I mean, Cam Akers—is he going to be the guy? Is it Daryl Henderson? Do you want either of them, anyways? What do you think's going to happen there in St. Louis or Los Angeles?
0: Yeah, <laughs> I, think a- <laughs> I think Akers. Like, out of all these guys, other than maybe Vaughn, might have the easiest path to a potential starting job. But you know, we're hearing Sean McVay in this offseason. He's saying, you know, we're so happy we have three good backs. You know, yeah. they're really talking up how. Different talents that can be used in different games. His whole thing with wanting to be more, like you know, this they've been so through wide receiver heavy his entire tenure there, and he's really talked about how he admires the Patriots being able to change their game plan week by week. And because of that, they've kind of gotten different players they think can do that. It's worrisome, man. I mean, if the season started tomorrow, I think we would have to probably say Malcolm Brown is going to be the starter at least, you know, early on. And you know, we assume you don't spend second and third round picks on Acres and Henderson to not play him, but it's, it's looking like a three RB committee and the ceiling's so high. No one had more rushing touchdowns than Todd Gurley yeah. over the last two years, but seems like a committee, man. Like, yeah. like all these rookie backfields, it's just tough right now. And you know, in general, rookies, we're seeing them, they're overpriced because there's so much uncertainty there. And none of these guys, other than kind of Claude Edwards-Hilaire, can we be truly certain are going to have, you know, a big role from week one
1: fully agree with all of that and the, the last backfield too where a rookie's coming in and it could throw things off completely that's the bills with Zach Moss uh, kind of you know is he going to play that Frank Gore role and just be a bigger better version of Frank Gore at this stage of their career how's that impact Devin Singletary I mean me and you talked on the quarterback episode they're their goal line rushers Josh Allen anyways so I mean what about this backfield are you targeting Singletary Moss you staying away what do you think of this one
0: It's so bad, man. Allen's eighth in the league in rushing touchdowns over the last (laughs) two years. Allen and Gore had 29 rushes inside the 10-yard line last season. Devin Singletary had three. Like, it is – you know, I said there's not many vultures in the league. Josh Allen is a legit vulture. So, (laughs) it's a problem because at least with Gore, Devin Singletary had his past game role. Moss could eat into that. We don't know that. Like, he could be a more complete back than Gore was because Singletary was still getting – 15-plus touches, playing a real high rate of snaps, it's problematic. I mean, I'm you know, I've seen kind of mixed feelings on Zach Moss as a player throughout the industry, but, you know, drafting him as a top three-round guy, they're kind of being linked to Melvin Gordon throughout the offseason. I think it's pretty clear we're going to see maybe a little bit less of a role in Singletary, and with just so few fancy friendly touches with the goal line stuff and then Diggs coming to take away the targets, I'm probably going to be out of the Singletary business for the most part of this year. And the last running back I have down
1: as a follower, not because of – uh, rookies necessarily, but just because one, his team seems to hate him, and then two, Chris Thompson comes in there. That's Leonard Fournette with the Jaguars. I have no idea what to, to make out of this this backfield. I mean, the guy was a monster last year just from a sheer volume perspective. Wasn't really that efficient with it at all. Uh, I don't know. I'm just not touching Fournette. He's kind of just, disgusts me for some reason. I think he's a pretty big flawler. What do you expect out of him, though, in 2020?
0: Yeah, I mean, I was on him last year because you could, I mean, we just didn't have these same issues and now he's being priced like higher than he was last year. I'm seeing he's more in that kind of low teen range than the high teen range he was going kind of with the David Johnsons and the James Connors of the world, I might be more willing to take a stab, but no, nah, I'm with you, man. General, stay away. This feels like one temper tantrum away from it being Raquel Armstead's and They got that Davino Zigbo guy who all these truthers flock when you, you know, mention Armstead on Twitter. And Chris Thompson, like you said. I mean, Jay Gruden fed Chris Thompson. You know, he got him at least 35 catches or something four straight years. So at a minimum, like Fournette's 100 targets are not even close to that this year. So like Fournette's best case scenario is being, you know, getting that Josh Jacobs-esque role and hopefully making the most out of it. But come on, we saw this offense last year, what it looks like centered around Leonard Fournette. I don't think Jay Gruden's going to let that happen for more than a couple of weeks before making some serious changes.
1: Yeah, I mean I'm totally in agreement with all of that. I see the a lot of people making the positive TD regression argument. Yeah, it's crazy he only scored 3 TDs on the ridiculous amount of touches he had and he still was able to finish as the PPR RB7. So if we get him, you know, 5 to 6 more touchdowns, but I just think that receiving t- like decrease is going to completely outweigh that. Uh, I mean, 76 receptions, he's not even going to come close to half of that, in my opinion. You mentioned Chris Thompson. I mean, this guy was the running back 11 in 2017 fantasy points per game, Chris Thompson under Jay Gruden, and then he began the next season with 25 back-to-back fantasy point performances. Uh, he was a top five running back, but then he gets hurt with a rib injury and kind of has been you know not hurt from since, but he's back with his guy. And you mentioned Ryquell. the team seems to like. They, they add the rookie, Chenault, who's who was a goal-line monster in college. I, I just It's just getting uglier and uglier. I don't really buy, yeah, maybe he gets a few more touchdowns, but I think everywhere else he's going to be so negatively hit. Uh, I'm definitely with you. And just, I hate rooting for the guy. I don't know. I'm just not a Fournette <laughs> fan at all. I don't know why.
0: He I, just, I enjoy know. the way he plays football. I mean, he yeah. just had, like, you know, he had that run as a rookie where he was like literally calling on the, I mean, Mike Mitchell, whatever the Steelers safety was, Steelers, like, did yeah. sticks out contact. I mean, it's. I like the way he runs, but no, it's some of the other stuff's annoying for sure. Uh, exactly.
1: Uh, uh, yeah, totally in agreement. The, the bulldozer when he's fully healthy and yeah. fully giving it all. Yeah, I, I'm all with you there. And just like There's when he's a few times people, that happens. It, yeah, exactly. Right. Uh, man. Plus the injury concerns. I mean, he's he's certainly just uh, he's on my do not draft list. I mean, that's all the running backs I personally wrote down as risers or fallers. Is there anyone you think I'm missing, or anyone else you'd like to highlight before we wrap up here?
0: I think that should be about a pretty it. Pretty uh, list. <laughs> Real quick, what are your thoughts on Kenny and Drake? Because I know they didn't add anyone other than Eno at the very end, who some people are really high on, but come on, seventh round pick, just chill out. And my issue though, Drake, really good. We've seen him be really good. He got the transition tag. To me, that's not, I'm not treating that like a long term. Like, I'm not as excited about Drake's workhorse role because of the transition tag as I am about, you know, Eckler getting a legit four year extension. And also, Drake, when he was doing all these great things, you got David Johnson, a shell himself, and Chase Edmonds well, could barely even suit up. So I'm a little worried Chase Edmonds could make this into more of a two-back committee sooner rather than later. Am I wrong? I, I kind of think you're wrong just because okay. of – and I don't know.
1: I mean it might be that one-year rental idea of the, the single contract almost being better for him because they just ride him into the ground. It was just one of those things that the reason I think it might be wrong – I wish I had the exact snap totals, but I feel like – Kingsbury just showed a tendency to ride one guy for the most part. Whether it was David Johnson in those first five weeks, as we said, when he was lighting it up, was the running back four in fantasy, you know, twelfth in touches per game. He, he, you know, I bet you his snap rate was right around seventy to eighty percent. And I yep. know Drake never dipped below sixty-three percent of the snaps and was in over eighty-three percent in five of eight. So it just to me seems like an offense that's kind of built around a single horse, and it makes sense with the air raid. You're you're trying to keep your foot on the pedal. You don't really want to substitute. You want a guy that can kind of do it all. And I love Drake. I think he can do it all. I think he's a great talent. And it, it, you saw the, the fit was great last season. He was on pace for 14 TDs. And this offense is about to get so much better because you add a guy like Hopkins, you get Kyler Murray in year two. I feel like we haven't even seen. I mean, they, they did jump up from you know 8.5 points per game last year in 2019. I could see them now jumping yet again and getting into that you know twenty-eight to thirty-point range that we saw of the Chiefs, that we saw of the Lamar Jackson. A lot of people are saying this is the next guy that takes that huge leap. I think if that happens, then Drake definitely comes with you know fifteen-plus touchdown upside. Uh, to me, it's just like a seventy percent touch, seventy percent snap guy in an offense. I see taking a huge leap, so I'm all about it. I actually tweeted out yesterday that I would take Kenyon Drake ninth overall after. Um, before every wide receiver not named Michael Thomas. And I, I stand by it, at least for a redraft. Dynasty, obviously different. I don't know. What do you think of that?
0: I, as it was my RB9, I do think after the big five, he probably has the best chance, no injuries happening, of having a legit three-down roll after those guys. I think, he, I think he can do good things with it. So I, I would just say among you know these top 10 or 12 backs, like the – if I drafted Drake, I would really try to make sure I get Edmonds coming back because, yeah. you know, it's a little funky. I, I can see how it works out. And if week one comes out and Drake's, you know, I've got that three down to one ball and let's go. I'm in. He's good yeah. enough to do it. But – just a little cautious about Edmonds. This upside is high enough to yeah, Go ahead and do it. I like the call on it. Put your and,
1: and Edmonds, I love that point too because Edmonds is so cheap. Even if you miss out on Drake, I mean, if this yeah. did become a committee or if Drake gets hurt, I mean, he's never yeah. – even in college wasn't really a workhorse. So everyone's completely overlooking Edmonds and what he did. I mean, he had like a 40-point day when he became the guy. So, sure. I mean, there is upside here with, with Edmonds too for – I don't even think he gets drafted in most leagues. So, yeah, I, I think he's a great name to highlight there as well uh all right Ian well thanks you so much I mean we've done three-part series now it's been an absolute blast having you on why don't you remind our listeners uh where they can find you and where they can see your stuff
0: yeah find me on Twitter at iHeart, it's I-H-A-R-T-I-T-Z currently going through biggest fantasy football question offseason list going through 96 of those suckers between yeah. now and the end of July so usually publishing one a day check me out on Roto World thanks man this was fun I'm sure we'll uh, get back together before the season starts
1: Absolutely. I look forward to it. Thanks again, brother. Have a great rest of your day. We used
0: to have it all,
1: but now's our curtain call. So hold for the applause, oh, 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 and wave out to the crowd, and take our final bow. Oh, it's our time to go, but at least we stole the show. At least we stole the show. At least we stole the show. Least we stole the show. Least we
0: stole the show. Straight ahead, Definitely. Second down. Third down. Touchdown! Oh. That's pretty awesome. That's old-fashioned football right there, folks.